0: Dennis, Greg, how you doing today? Doing great, Dave. Excited for another episode here of Nothing But Nets. Let's do it. This is our third episode. Um, if you had to critique our first two, would you have any pointers for us?
1: Uh, I think it's pretty clear that we are uh, seamless naturals with very <laughs> few flaws. <laughs> And uh, while I could try, it, it would be a struggle to come up with some va- with
0: valid criticisms. We, yeah, we've talked about, is, <clears throat> is Kevin Durant the best player in the world? Is Blake Griffin washed? We've talked about plant-based vaccines. Uh, so we've already had to kind of try to become experts or at least just have opinions on a, a lot of weird topics, given the way the, the world is weird now. We've got to get used to that. The world is weird and this
1: team is um, definitely one of the more interesting ones. There's no shortage of content. So it's been easy in that sense.
0: That's right. So, all right, let's pick up with a thrilling shorthanded victory at home over the Toronto Raptors. Um, So we learned the night before that Paul Millsap was out health and safety protocol. Then the next day, the game game day, we learned early in the day that there were five more members. So in total, we hit, were looking at Marcus Aldridge, um, Brown, Bembridge, Javon Carter, eventually James Harden and Bruce Brown, um, James Johnson. Mil- I mentioned Paul Millsap, and of course Joe Harris still out with the ankle injury, and Kyrie Irving unvaccinated, uneligible. So we were down to whether or not Kevin Durant could play on a sore ankle to avoid the game not being played at all. brand said he wanted to play, and, I mean, he was masterful as usual, 34 points, a triple-double, game went to overtime. It was crazy because it just had the feel of, like, something bigger than the game itself. Like, if you watch that game, you saw – a joy exuding from guys like Patty Mills, Kevin Durant, out there with four rookies at a time at one point. Kessler Edwards was chipping in, David Duke Jr., Cam Thomas. Um, Blake Griffin found himself back playing crucial minutes in in an important game. He's been out of the lineup. So that they won that game and then listening to them talk after the game, seeing the energy, um, you'd think it was much bigger than a basic regular season game. Any thoughts, any takeaways there?
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on. You could tell this game um, had extra significance and, you know, no one would have blamed the Nets if they laid down last night or, you know, just weren't really into it and were happy to move on to the next game. And instead, you know, you really saw an inspired effort by everyone that was able to play. And for them to pull it out, you know, I totally can understand why um, it seemed to mean a little bit more just given, you know, what everyone's going through right now with this pandemic. And you, know, you saw it hit the team um, in a major way last night. So I thought it was I thought it was, uh, you know, pretty compelling that they were able to do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant mentioned that after the game, he basically said, I've seen I've seen teams splinter at a point and then they start playing for themselves at that point could have come, you know, they're up by, up by 10 points, they blow a lead and then suddenly in the fourth quarter, they find themselves down 10. So it kind of felt like they were just going to, to roll over at that point. I, I thought they were going to lay down, you know, maybe when they were down hundred to 89 or so. Um, but they kind of stormed back. I didn't expect that. And Patty Mills mentioned the same thing that we came in this morning, we saw the news and we kind of knew we had two choices. We could just pump this game and and think about the next one. And we would have had a perfect made excuse. No one would have judged us Um, or we could just rally. And that's what we did. And it speaks to the character of this team. Um, I got to say, like, it's hard for me to remember a time I saw Kevin Durant seem to be having as much fun as he is. I know that's an overused narrative, but, he seems to really, really enjoy this team. I think he got a little bit emotional after that game talking about, you know, just praising his teammates like Kessler Edwards in his first real NBA minutes had a 17 and 10 with three threes. And uh, Kevin Kevin was leading the way, obviously, but getting key contributions, Blake Griffin, like diving 30 feet from the hoop. Um, to hear someone like Stephen A. Smith say he regrets his decision, you can't watch that game and, and sort of agree with that take.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if if you zoom out a little bit then it makes sense, right? Because you know, I would say Durant has probably been a top 5 player his entire career pretty much, but this is really the first year where it seems like he's he's close to being indisputably recognized as the best player in the game. And I think With that comes a a little bit more ownership, um, you know, on just a night-to-night basis, whether it's his leadership, whether it's his standing in the league. um, You're really seeing him kind of just kind of take a different sort of command and have a different sort of presence night-to-night. And, you know, you can tell all the guys on this team really look up to him. And he's, uh, he's just kind of at the apex of all his powers right now.
0: It's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. It's kind of funny that every time a key player changes teams from Kevin Durant, they're an MVP candidate, and so is he. When we saw James Harden go to Houston, he's an MVP candidate. You're like, oh, right, I guess Kevin Durant's teammate was pretty good. Kevin Durant joined Steph Curry. and Now him and Curry are gunning for the MVP trophy themselves. Curry just broke a record. Uh, a couple nights ago. Um, so yeah, he he's yeah, played, it's played he's a lot of
1: talent. he certainly has, and you know when you look at his career arc, <clears throat> you know we mentioned like like how many seasons has he been the number one guy? It actually reminds me a little bit of Kobe, where Kobe had like this, <clears throat> you know this all time great career, but when you look back at each season from when he got into the league in '96 to when he retired. Twenty years later, in 2016, there's really probably one or two seasons you could make a valid argument that he was the number one guy. Because when he got in the league, there was Jordan. Then he then there was Shaq. There was Duncan, and then you know, right when he was kind of becoming the guy, LeBron comes along. And once mm. LeBron got that spot, he you know he never gave it up. And with KB, it's similar. You know, he comes in the league in 07 and LeBron is, it's LeBron's league very shortly thereafter. And it's really only this season where you could say like, okay, like this is, this is Durant's window as the guy. And um, you can tell he's really, he's really uh, aware of that. He's, he's definitely a guy. I think that you can tell he just has, a tremendous self-awareness and awareness of, of the league and his co-stars and his peers and, and where he fits in.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think Mike Grady, network asked him as he was approaching 50 in Detroit. He was like, did you know you were close? And he said, of course. I laughed at
1: that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You, you know, it's funny. You, you can't. You, that's something like when we talk about the difference between him and other guys, it, it feels like a, a lot of guys would try to be kind of, you know, try to flash some fake modesty, whereas he's, he's pretty comfortable, you know, just sort of putting it out there. So I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I've seen that demeanor in post games too, where someone will ask, you know, you guys were, were really good at offense last year. What's the challenge this time? And he'll say, I know what you're getting at. You want me to say we miss Kyrie. Okay. Of course we miss Kyrie. Um, so he just, he's not really looking to pull many punches at this point in his career. Exactly. The, all right. So the Nets have, like we said, a whole bunch of positive cases. They're fully vaccinated. So these are breakthrough cases. Um, it was reported on Wednesday that we, the NBA has seen its first Omicron, uh, variant. So I don't know if that's what the latest there is, if that's infiltrated, the Nets, locker room but it's kind of a scary situation the good news is that steve nash said that for now most of the cases that they've seen are asymptomatic although they have just tested positive so we'll see um here's a quote from from coach nash before the game against toronto it's a new normal talking about the pandemic but it's scary because i don't know that there's an end in sight this is the kind of world we may live in, you know, indefinitely, we've all been affected by this, you know, I've lost family members, the day-to-day life, even if you haven't lost people has changed, may not go back to what it was for, like I said, indefinitely. Definitely a, a somber um, perspective, but a but a fair one from Coach Nash.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really does seem like um, things right now are not trending in the right direction. And it's pretty crazy, you know, when you think that this is the third season, the third NBA season that we've been in a pandemic. And um, I think I think during that first season, you know, uh, we probably probably didn't think we'd be in this situation uh, two seasons later. But, you know, we're here now and it's uh, it's just depressing i mean it, it doesn't seem like it's getting better as far as the cases uh obviously we have made a lot of progress with um <clears throat> you know hospitalizations and and we know a lot more but as nash alluded to it's like you know when when do things just go back to normal who knows
0: yeah and that's the sad scary part that it might be just a new normal <clears throat> and you you think back to Watching players, I know Sixers guard Matisse Stiebel, I think Lakers JaVale McGee made these video blogs, which were crazy at the time. And a lot of the players had the sentiment of, man, we're going to look back on this. This bubble thing is crazy. Uh, And then you see people saying, man, I can't wait until 2020 is over. And now it's, I can't wait till 2021 is over. And I'm thinking, man, you know, it's not like January 1st is going to dramatically alter things. So.
1: Let me ask you this. So if, if uh, you know, there's obviously a new variant, which it's projected will become dominant variant. It's unclear uh, what vaccines can do to stifle the spread. Do you think the league will institute any new sort of policies or because, you know, the Nets can can barely field the team. The Bulls can barely field the team. The Bulls actually have had to cancel games, um, and this is seems like it's just getting started. Do you think the league will try anything different, uh, whether it's reducing fans in games, whether it's um, kind of just uh, you know lessening the restrictions around test thing and who can play and, and kind of just being resigned that there's going to be a certain number of positive players or do you think this is just going to be the way it is with stops and starts and guys in and out of the lineup and just trying to make the best of a bad situation
0: it's a good question uh, you know we're recording this while the news broke that the raptors will stage home games at scotia bank arena at 50 capacity beginning saturday um So yeah, I think we're already seeing, I mean, that's Canada. I don't know, maybe the NBA in the United States will handle things differently. We do seem to be a little bit more of a capitalist society than our northern border, but it's not a bad precedent to reduce fans in the arenas as an initial step. I don't know that not testing is a good idea. I think at the very least, you'd rather know that someone has tested positive because the the opponent has a right to know that. You know, some of these guys are not vaccinated. Bradley Beal, for example, might not want to play that game if he knew someone had tested positive. So I don't like the idea of not testing. It doesn't seem no, safe. I, I agree.
1: That that's not gonna happen. Um, I, I'm I guess I'm more just thinking like what you know, what can be done to you know add some sort of um you know it's 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 just hard to figure what what can you do right you, you said i mean the nets have seven guys that are out most of them are asymptomatic it just leaves you in a in a really tough spot
0: yeah we could we could change it to uh the nothing but epidemiology podcast one of these days <laughs> <laughs> i think um i would just be guessing but i got to admit i was surprised that the game against the raptors was played it felt like having baked in some sort of postponement buffer would have been the move there because Mm -hmm. now they got a game you know like when they asked Steve Nash about this someone asked him before the Raptors game he did not yet know about James Harden or Bruce Brown he was asked could there be more and he said we would be naive to not be concerned with more Uh, How excited would you be if you're Fred Van Vliet and you have to guard someone you're thinking his whole team tested positive, all vaccinated. Now I got to cover this guy all night, knowing that maybe today, maybe tomorrow he could test positive too. So I think it puts some sort of creepy feeling into the basketball games. Um, You know, then you're hopping on a plane and you're hanging out with your family. If I were a player, I would be concerned about this stuff. I think I'm a lot of them are normal, so they probably are too, and have these concerns. I don't know what the answer is, but that's not our job here. So
1: <laughs> yeah, i'm I'm with you. i I mean, we've covered the pandemic. Uh, you know, I, I wish I wish we had something something uh, more uplifting to add, but that's just where we're at.
0: <laughs> Before we move on, I'll just say that, the same lineup is going to be confirmed for the Sixers game next. Um, Sixers just had, uh, I'm assuming, a breakthrough case, George Niang. They've had a couple of them. Joel Embiid was very, <clears throat> very ill. He missed three weeks with a breakthrough case. So, we, you know, we'll stay. We'll keep a close watch on that. They're going to be playing again with, without Aldridge, Brown, Bembry, Carter, Harden, Johnson, Millsap, and, of course, Harrison Irving. So it'll be KD, Patty Mills and a bunch of young guys again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know, uh,
1: what you're doing Thursday night, but, um, if you have a direct line to coach Nash, you know, they, they could probably use a shooter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think they they could use bodies. They, they did just onboard Langston Galloway (laughs) just to make sure that they could have enough bodies with the hardship exception. Um, But changing gears, we did get an update on, I don't know how much for changing gears. That might be a stretch, but we did get an update on a player who is not eligible to play because he's not vaccinated. There was reports of renewed optimism this week, reported by Shams of The Athletic. um, And Shams essentially said, not that we had any how or why. We don't know why there would be optimism, but there is this vague sense of renewed optimism around a Kyrie Irving return he described that the the optimism stemmed from recent conversations Irving and KD have had so to recap there's no updates that Kyrie's going to get vaccinated there's no update that New York's going to change or there's suddenly going to be a plant-based vaccine that Kyrie would get there's no idea or thought that the Nets would change their position and allow him to play in at least road games and practices. And I got to say, I don't think this recent outbreak is going to change their mind there. If you're thinking, look, we're already trying desperately to limit our exposure to virality. We don't want to onboard a guy who's not vaccinated at all um, and maybe make those problems potentially worse. So where does that leave you? Where does this optimism come from? And do you have any sense there? Well,
1: you you know, you touched on it. There's only three paths to him playing. There's, there's Kyrie agree to, agreeing to get vaccinated. There's the Nets taking him back as an unvaccinated part-time player. Or there's New York City changing the mandate. Of those three, I think New York City changing the mandate is the least likely. Mm-hmm. I would say that... Um, kyrie getting vaccinated or some compromise between him and the team seems possible Mm -hmm. um i i would actually lean towards the latter if i had if i had to the Nets allow him yeah the nets allow him to come back in some capacity i don't know what that would look like but i mean you know there's certainly there's certainly um valid arguments to allow him back, he is part of the team. You are paying him. You've are you. have got seven fully vaccinated players who have COVID, which is the fear of him coming back. In in theory, um, so and then you know you can read read the tea leaves a bit. Him and Kevin Durant are talking. It doesn't seem like it's that much of a leap to say Kevin Durant is advocating for Kyrie to come back. So that obviously would carry a lot of weight. So, that that makes me think there could be some compromise between him and the team if if these reports uh, lead to something.
0: Yeah. So, Nash was asked <clears throat> about it. Here's what Nash said: uh, Has he connected with him? Does he know anything about this renewed optimism? He said, "I have connected with him, but not with any intel or insight that things are changing. I know he'd love to be playing, but I think the boundaries are still the same as they were before recent reports. So." The boundaries are the same, meaning nothing has changed, I guess, that, as far as he knows.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, do you feel as though the team would lose credibility if they were to renege their stance um, on, on not wanting him as a part-time player?
0: It's funny. If you were to ask me, is there a team that has a history of worrying about, like, organizational principles and compromising their integrity. I would have pointed to the nets because they used to have to dig their heels in and stand their ground with Jason Kidd, who was always lobbying for power. Right. I think maybe as a player (laughs) and a coach, um, yeah, obviously all new brass, new management. And because of the, the dual factor of it would, we'd have to save face somehow by saying we changed our minds. We'd have to come up with a way to say we were worried he was going to be a distraction. We did think maybe we could persuade him to get it. We've abandoned hope that he's going, that this ban is going to (laughs) convince him. And we've found a new solution to reduce his distraction. KD has vouched for him. There will be no distraction. something like that. But then there, there would be a potentially public backlash of people saying, look, man, this pandemic is raging on. Don't you guys care about safety and and whatnot so i think there would be some hurdles still there for them from a pr standpoint optics but at the same time if kd says look man i scored 51 the other night i'm out here with rookies i need this guy at least let me have him on the road it's it's hard to just say sorry man
1: yeah i i i agree um and the way things are going uh, the whole team might have uh, natural immunity in a couple weeks here in which case maybe that would uh <laughs> that would uh you know be in Kyrie's favor as well but i i don't i don't know it, it's um you know we've heard whispers of renewed optimism before it seems and you know then it seems like there's really no momentum following that so you know i, I would that could certainly be the case again, where you're hearing whispers that he might come back and then a couple weeks go by and we're, we're in the same spot. So
0: K- KD for what it's worth was asked about the same report. And rather than sort of shooting it down, like his coach did, he played it more close to the vest. He said, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, of course, Kyrie's my brother. You know, we talk about everything. I'd rather keep those conversations in house though. Do you get a read on that quote at all?
1: Uh, yeah, I think you know. It, it would seem. It would seem to me those conversations. I imagine KD is lobbying both sides, lobbying mm-hmm. Kyrie to get vaccinated, lobbying the team to meet him in the middle somewhere, um, and uh, you know, I'm sure they're throwing around different scenarios and we'll just have to see where it goes
0: yeah i just thought it was kind of interesting that someone said have you heard about these reports of renewed optimism specifically about your communications with Kyrie?" and he didn't immediately say no that's not true he said we'll see i don't know of course he's my brother and we talk about everything so like if you were reaching for straws there might be one there but we can uh we can leave that for another day the, the other interesting news was we got some updates on the trade market. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report mentioned that one team to watch, obviously, is the Philadelphia 76ers with Ben Simmons because Daryl Morey is just never going to quit chasing James Harden. And he's thinking, like, the article talked a little bit about maybe the Sixers, if, this, if they trade him, obviously, and Ben goes out west, that's great for the Nets. Uh, the Sixers maybe don't become a huge threat because they're probably not going to get Dame Lillard tomorrow. Ben Simmons goes West. And then you don't have to worry about them maybe wooing James Harden and offering us Ben Simmons in a sign and trade. So the article talked a little bit about that possibility. And then it said basically that the Nets have fielded calls on Kyrie Irving. They've also fielded calls on Joe Harris, who's out injured now for another few weeks, and Nick, Cla- Nick Claxton, who's playing some amazing ball, the best ball of his career over like a two-game stretch, um, but is, you know, in and out of the lineup, just got back from a non-COVID illness where he missed 17 games. He's probably difficult to rely on, and he's uh, a free agent that they might not be able to afford. So, wh- what's your take on maybe the trade market would you be fielding calls on kyrie joe harris claxon anyone else and what would you be looking to get back
1: yeah it's interesting i mean joe harris has been really good for the nets but he was really bad in the playoffs so you wonder it could that play into it somewhat um also you know if there's one thing the nets have uh a surplus of it's shooting especially with Patty Mills coming in this season. Um, so maybe they feel like, you know, Joe Harris is a guy who has a skill set that's valued around the league. Uh, if you shop them, you know, you're probably curious what that could get if you package them with Claxton. Um, even more so, you know, maybe that gets you in the running for one of these Indiana guys that, that you keep hearing about are mm-hmm. on the block. Uh, whether that's Miles Turner or a guy like karis LeVert coming back to brooklyn or mm. tj warren you know these are all those could all be in play if you put put a package together um don't know how interested indiana would be or what they'd be looking for but you know certainly um that could be that could be something to look at
0: it doesn't it doesn't hurt their case to upgrade around the margins that Kessel Edwards dropped like 17 and 10 with three triples as a, as a young big, you know, like they have sweeteners they could use. Here's the quote from Fisher's piece uh, that came out on, I think, Tuesday yet Brooklyn appears eager to upgrade its roster ahead of the trade deadline and Harden's impending free agency. It's clear these nets are not the juggernaut favorites that enter training camp. Brooklyn has been open to discussing trades for Irving although those calls have seemed to generate significant traction. Uh, Although none of those calls have generated traction. And then it mentions Joe Harris and Nick Claxton. So, you know, you've got your big three, and obviously I don't think they're going to willingly shop Durant. Does it make sense to make calls and harden him being an uh, unrestricted free agent? Maybe, because you could risk losing him for nothing. But I get the sense... They're pretty confident that they can keep them if they're willing to pay. So they won't. Then that leaves you with a bunch of guys who make almost no money. which should be difficult to upgrade on a salary like Patty Mills. You're not going to find a better use of six million dollars per year in the league. And um, other than maybe like a fourth overall rookie pick. So then that leaves you with Joe Harris, who opens up a lot of possibilities. He makes about 17 million and he's not in the lineup right now. And like you said, they've got shooting. So I guess Harris makes sense to do some due diligence on, but I'm not sure what would yeah. you need for? What, what would you say they need if you were to shop Harris?
1: You know, I w- I would think that, um, you know, everyone wants kind of like the prototypical two-way wing and you look at the nets, um, you know, if you could get, if you could, look at a guy like jeremy grant maybe who's been rumored to be on the block could certainly see where he would be a nice fit take some of the defensive pressure off uh durant um and then uh, you know i think i think they're a little soft down low so um you know that's why i mentioned miles turner could that be a name with some interest um How but, could you, yeah with
0: the joe harris and what it's not like this team has a plethora of picks. They used them on James Harden, so it's it's easy to imagine someone else topping their offer for Turner. But yeah, Turner would be a terrific fit as a sort of three and D big. There's not many of those in the league.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you might have to involve a third team. Um I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but it speaks to you know to to bring it back to Kyrie. It's like it's like well, if you knew Kyrie was coming back, you probably don't do anything, right? Because you know that if Kyrie comes back. With this roster that they have, we've seen this team when they're all together; they're they're the favorites for the title. But if he's not going to come back, then you know maybe maybe you're willing to take some chances with the roster. And um, that's a that's a you know tough spot for the GM. I think Daryl Morey in a similar position where it's like, you know, I could I could trade Ben Simmons and improve the team this season, assuming he's not coming back. Or, you know, I could kind of hope things don't go well with Harden and Brooklyn and maybe that door opens up again, but maybe it doesn't. And then I'm in the same situation having kind of punted on the season. So not knowing these guys' statuses complicates the uh trade, the trade market and what the ideal move would be.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. <clears throat> I agree with you. I think, like you said, that three and D wing, that two way wing would be ideal, but Phoenix is a contender. They're not going to give you Mikhail Bridges and you can't afford him anyway, but he would be perfect. If you could just swap him for Joe, he doesn't give you quite the same shooting, but it gives you one of the best defenders in the league. He's in theory, the best piece that they could acquire, um, whether Kyrie's coming back or not, but with, with the potential that Kyrie could change his mind and play or something changes then it it feels more tempting to just say, let's, let's go to war with this group. Let's turn to that buyout market uh, and see if it brings us what the type of high caliber veteran that it brought us in years past. Um, on the other hand, you you also feel like you're playing with house money and now you've got Kyrie it's like, well, well, we could just make a couple trades and there's really not much to lose. Maybe we could spring for Robert Covington and. Um, you know, something like that. So Kyrie's presence gives you more, uh, more house money to work with. I would think.
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely another way to look at it where you can kind of, you can, although, you know, the the flip side is you put Joe Harris in the lineup with, uh, Durant Kyrie and James Harden. And, uh, you're, you're talking about one of the best shooters in the league just getting wide open looks uh, from from the start of the game to the end. So that's that's not bad either. So yeah. they're they're in a good position either way.
0: Yeah, I think if we were to do a, a post-mortem, you know, like a pre-mortem, how is this team going to get knocked out in the playoffs? And we don't get the luxury of knowing if Irving was even in the lineup or not. We would probably point to the front court. I mean, the front court makes like $4 million bucks for five players. And – LaMarcus Aldridge has been their best big, but then when the Kyrie Irving... Sh- I mean, when the Steph Curry show comes to town, he's basically unplayable. Played nine minutes, um, got torched out on the perimeter. It's not fair to ask him to pick up Steph, but he's not nearly as as good as like Nick Claxton at doing that. But Claxton's mm-hmm. tough to rely on, too. And he's a young player. He hasn't logged even 82 NBA games total. So just saying we're going to use him because he's our best player for the second and third round of the playoffs. That's a tough bet too. I have to think that they would love to get some sort of, I don't know if there's a big that they could afford who could either switch or stretch the floor in a way that won't get rendered unplayable. But if, but if he's out there, that's what they would want. Yeah. Anyone? Come yeah. To mind?
1: <clears throat> Um, I mean, guys like that are, are, uh, are tough to find, but you know, I, I I don't know. I I don't know that they'll feel that, that, you know, any sort of desperation to do that because, um, you know, their D has been passable, um, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't know where it really burns them in the East. You know, I don't know if there's a matchup that they're looking at where it's like, I mean, I guess Milwaukee would be the one where, where it's like, okay, how are we going to survive? You know, the, these minutes. Um,
0: Weirdly Milwaukee, they've, they've matched up. Okay. Well with, because like you saw in the playoffs last year, <clears throat> they could play their bigs. Milwaukee doesn't have the the pull up three point threat. If Drew Holiday's right. not going to pull up from the logo and make, Blake Griffin not be able to play at all. So they, I think and even,
1: uh, Philadelphia, it's like, yeah, you know, they would have, they would have nothing for Embiid, but you know, Embiid could average 35, 40 a game in that series and, and they might lose in five games.
0: So yeah. Yeah. You send some doubles. You, you let Blake Griffin foul out. <laughs> you put, you know, your roaming platoon of bigs on him and you throw some doubles and hope he turns it over and takes a lot of jumpers, but you, you punish them on the other end. Um, I think, but it's those teams like the Suns and it's those teams like the Warriors where you, you start to worry, but yeah, that's not uh that's not in the East. So. Right.
1: Right. I mean, maybe Atlanta, although we just saw, um, on, was it Saturday night or Friday night? The Nets uh, handled that pretty well. So.
0: And they handled Luca and they handled Trey young. And they did that with Nick Claxton and James Johnson out there and doing a switch everything type of lineup, which, gave you lots of like second round or beyond vibes you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. more so than when they relied on Lamarcus Aldridge against the Sixers or the Orlando magic. Um, that, that didn't feel like the type of stuff that's going to be viable by round two. No, no offense to Lamarcus, but it was those switch lineups that did a great job against some bona fide perimeter superstars. Where we were like, Whoa, the Nets have another gear here to reach
1: yeah I, I i agree. I think that uh, I think they'll err on the side of being conservative um for those reasons.
0: yeah, so maybe they just maybe this is straight up due diligence and they're just literally fielding calls but not making calls. All right if you want to blow us away for Joe Harris do they, what sure. is they, all right <laughs> let's let's close on this one. What's their all in with Harris like all the young guys if I gave you Nick Claxton, Kessler Edwards, Cam Thomas, you know, uh, one first in 2026 and a second with Joe Harris. Does that get you someone like Miles Turner?
1: You know, it's just it's like if if you're Indiana and you're going to blow it up, I guess the question is, you know, do you want what is Joe Harris like 30, 29? Like I no. I just don't know no?
0: No, you got what, rather- what would you 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 wouldn't want that package. You'd you want... wouldn't
1: want that. I I would think not. Although you know, I'm sure Rick Carlisle didn't go there to tank, and he would love to be competitive. But I, I it wouldn't make
0: sense, right? So, I just think a team like the Knicks would top that in their sleep.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I don't know where where the perfect fit for for Joe Harris would be, or who would be willing to. Give up something of value. I I mean, like you said, they don't have their pick, so that really complicates making a deal because you can't attach uh, a pick to it. Um, If you could, you know, maybe maybe there's a deal there with uh, Detroit. They can grant for Grant or something like that. But without that, when where the value is purely Joe Harris, you know, you really you're really uh, looking for the perfect perfect team that that needs shooting that isn't a direct competitor that can give you something back that you can use so you know the more we break it down the more it seems like chances are they stay put
0: right I think it would represent that perfect team is like what you mean is a completely imperfect team like the Blazers who's willing to do something they definitely shouldn't do just to keep Lillard happy and so maybe they would just do you know we're sinking but let's change captains and shuffle deck chairs and make bring in uh, harris and give them something they want but
1: yeah, yeah. I, I thought of portland and then i thought like it like if if you're going to damian lillard and trying to convince him his future is in portland and and you're you're talking uh, we we're bringing in joe harris I just don't know that that um, you know moves the needle for him, especially. I mean, what are you what are you giving up? Are you giving up maybe like Nurkic or someone like that, you know? So I don't know how right. much that helps.
0: Right. <laughs> and Covington hasn't played well enough to uh, to be the person in the swap anyway. He's not that first round pick value you can start in the playoffs right now.
1: Yeah, but- yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. He's only thirty one. Obviously, you and I followed him closely when he was in Philly. He uh, he was a good player, so hopefully he he regains some of that.
0: Yeah, I had thought at one point, I think a lot of people thought, surely P.J. Tucker is washed, and then he plays really well at at like 35, 36 years old. So who knows how this stuff goes, but I think that's a a good place for us to wrap.
1: Yeah, should be be an exciting um, rest of the month. Today's the 15th. Hoping for more player movement, maybe some trades, some less COVID and some Nets wins.
0: <laughs> some, <laughs> some, some some trades and some less COVID. <laughs>
1: that's what we should that's what it's we not, should
0: title this podcast. That's, that's my Christmas list. It's not too much to ask. It's not too much. All right. Greg, thanks so much All for right. jumping on with us and we'll talk to you next week.